listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Bunker. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and welcome to our 10 o'clock service. Uh, Actually, it's the 11 o'clock service, but it feels like 10 o'clock. Amen? And how many of you this morning, did you say, good morning, Lord? And how many of you said, good Lord, it's morning? (laughs) All right, I said, good Lord, it's morning. Let's stand as we read God's Word in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. 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 Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And as they went on their way... Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. You may be seated. How many of you struggle with distractions? Uh, We live in an age of distraction. Uh, There's a lot of distracted driving that happens. I don't know if you uh, venture on 46 or I-4. You just pray, uh, Lord, please don't let me be next to a distracted driver. Just uh, the other day, I was with my boys, and, and somebody was just, they weren't paying attention. They almost ran us over. Uh, we, we live in a day of, of uh, an age of multitasking, uh, and multitasking just means that we have our attention scattered everywhere, and we're stressed out. Uh, most of us are distracted by our phones. Uh, those little inventions have come with a lot of distraction. Uh, a recent study found out that uh, the average person checks their phone 81,500 times each year. So, So what that goes to is that 4.3 minutes, once every 4.3 minutes of your waking life, you're checking your phone. And so that means that over this message, you will have checked your phone eight times. Uh, We are addicted to the dopamine that we get every time we get a notification. Well, distraction does not produce healthy, balanced, productive people. It actually is the opposite. Distraction keeps us from being in the moment. It keeps us from having meaningful conversations. It keeps us from being focused on the important issues rather than the urgent issues. As a parent, as a husband, it's difficult sometimes to have real meaningful conversations uh, with undivided attention because of distractions. There's from time to time, my kids will say, hey, dad, pay attention. Uh, So we can all relate to that, amen? And here's something I just want you to understand. Distractions keep us from important relationships, and they make important relationships shallow. And so, not only can your personal relationships be shallow because of distraction, but even your relationship with God can be shallow because of distraction. And so, the whole call, the whole purpose of these 21 days of prayer and fasting is not just for everyone to not eat for 21 days and be miserable. It's not a weight loss program. It's not a way to manipulate God. The call to fasting is really a call to focusing. And so maybe this week or these next three weeks, you may give up eating a certain meal or give up social media or uh, give up other distractions in your life and just says, God, I want to focus on you. What, What fasting says is this. It says, God, I desire you 
more than I desire those things. And could you just imagine with me what it would look like if everyone in our church, the hundreds and hundreds of people uh, that, that attend in person or hundreds and hundreds of people that watch online, if all of us over these next 21 days were focused on the Lord, do you think it would make a difference? It would. And so the call for the next 21 days is not for you to not eat and be miserable. It's to be focused on Jesus. See, that's what a disciple is. A disciple, we've told you, is someone who follows Jesus in faith and lifestyle and helps others do the same. And so as Jesus here in Luke 9, 10, and we're going to look next week in chapter 11, he's been teaching his disciples how to be disciples that make disciples. And Jesus is on a beeline course to the cross, and he knows that his time is limited, and so he takes everyday interactions with people to point uh, his disciples to what it means to be a disciple. And chapter 10 is really all about ministry. In the beginning of chapter 10, he sends out the 72. His disciples see what it's like to send people out. And then in chapter 10, Jesus encounters a lawyer where the lawyer asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, tells him what it means to be a neighbor. And so Jesus says, you need to be a neighbor. And then today, we're going to be talking about Mary and Martha and worship. And what Jesus is teaching us today is that disciples are worshiping worshipers, not worriers. I wrote this this week, uh, and it's in my study, is I said, we can either be so busy worrying that we have no time to worship, or we can be so busy worshiping that we don't have any time to worry. And so this morning, I want us to look at two things. We can either worry instead of worship, or worship instead of worry. Let's look here at worry instead of worship. Verse 38, the Bible says, now, as they were on their way, this is Jesus and his disciples were on their way, where? To Jerusalem. Jesus is entering into a village. This village is Bethany. I've been there a few times. It's two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And Mary uh, and Martha and Lazarus, if you remember those group, uh, were, were living there in Bethany. And it's Martha, who is perhaps the oldest uh, of them, or at least the oldest female in the house, invites Jesus over. Now, what we know in John chapter 11, verse 5, is the Bible says that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were very close. They, they were a very close-knit group. It was Jesus' best friends. And so Martha here invites Jesus, and Martha being the oldest, uh, sees her, that upon herself is this responsibility for hospitality. Uh, when you knew that someone that you were close to came into your town, you were to offer them a place in your house. I mean, this is just common courtesy hospitality, especially in a very honor-driven culture. So here Martha is, she's invited Jesus to her house. Could you imagine if this afternoon after church you had Jesus over? And so what would you imagine Martha's doing? She's getting everything ready. Well, her sister Mary in verse 39 is sitting and listening to Jesus. While she's getting everything ready, while Martha's getting everything ready, Mary is sitting there listening at the feet of Jesus. Now, when we see this, we're like, oh, well, that's awful cool. When the Jewish readers read this, they were like, this is scandalous. Because in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, women were not allowed to sit and listen to the words of the Torah with other men um, just on their own. They weren't allowed to do that. Uh, they weren't allowed to participate in these things. And so for a lady to sit at the feet of the rabbi and listen to him teach the other people was almost scandalous, but it also tells you a little bit about who Jesus is. Number one, well, here's some just basic things. Number one, Jesus is teaching here that women are just as valuable and loved and equal as men are. That's what he's teaching here. And also, Jesus is teaching that God's word is just as important for women as it is men. And the other thing you see here is that Jesus is also teaching that he can use women just like he can use men in certain ways. 
And so Jesus here is teaching. Uh, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so we have this little dichotomy, this, this Martha and Mary. Maybe you've heard this sermon. Maybe, maybe you've heard this story. Maybe you in small group or in Sunday school can remember the flannel boards of Mary and Martha. And most sermons, most Sunday school lessons tend to make Martha to be the bad person. But I want you to understand that she's not a bad person. She's the one here who invited Jesus to her house. She's the one who's cooking the food. She's the one that's setting up all the finger food. She bought the carrots and the celery. She got the little ranch things there. She's set out some goldfish crackers. She got the Ritz crackers. And she got a, a cheese board here with all different types of cheeses. She had cheddar and Swiss, Colby Jack and pepper cheese. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. Can't you see them? And she here has to get the house clean, and she has to get everything ready. I mean, Jesus is coming over, and she has to make sure that everyone is served. There may have been at least 100 people in Martha's house. And so Martha here was a blessing. She was a blessing to Jesus. She was a blessing to everyone. And listen, we need Martha's, amen. She was using her spiritual gift. If we don't have Martha's, nothing will get done. We need Martha's at home and at work and in the church and in life. The New Testament teaches us to be a Martha in the sense that we serve others. There's, there's nothing sinful in the fact that she is serving. The issue is something deeper. There's a deeper issue in Martha's heart in the midst of her serving, and Jesus is going to address it. In verse 40, I think is the capstone of what that issue is. The Bible says here that Martha was distracted with much serving. She was so busy, so focused on serving Jesus that it changed her. I mean, just imagine her. She's coming in and out. She comes from the kitchen into the living room to make sure all the food is there. She makes sure that the hors d'oeuvres are fine, that the finger foods are fine, that everyone is doing well. And every time that she comes into the living room and sees Jesus with all these other disciples, she sees her sister. And every time she sees her, she gives her the stank eye. You know what the stank eye is? And there she is. She's like, you need to get up right there. And all the, she's just frustrated. She's aggravated. She says, my sister is oblivious. She lives in la-la land. What's going on here? And so what we see is that Martha is frustrated. She's irritated. She's aggravated just seeing her sister sit there. We've all been there, right? Have you been there? Have you felt like Martha has felt? Have you seen people just not doing their job, not pulling their way? How many times have you griped about somebody that's just lazy and doing nothing? You know, I found that a lot of people are in the astronaut program. They're just taking up space. It's a good dad joke. And listen, I think that if we were Martha and we didn't know all of this story, we would probably completely agree with Martha that Mary should be doing something. So the Bible says that as Martha's kind of coming in and out, she just, her, her, her temperature is rising and her anger is, is fuming. And so she just gets to the point, she goes to Jesus. She's had enough. She's been trying to get Mary's attention and nothing has happened. And so Martha just couldn't let it go. She goes to Jesus with a rag in one hand and her hand on the hip. She is overwhelmed, overexerted. She feels exhausted. And in her mind, she's got all these people and nobody to help her. So she thinks that what she needs is more help. So she goes to Jesus in verse 40 and says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all these people by myself. Jesus, you tell her to get off her blessed assurance and come help me. 
Now, this was a passive-aggressive attack, both of Mary, her sister, but also of Jesus. Do you not care? Jesus, don't you see all that I'm doing? Don't you know how hard I'm working? In this moment, Martha feels taken for granted. She, she feels like she was working so hard to make things so right. And now, in her mind, the Jesus of her imagination, she's expecting Jesus to do something. She's expecting Jesus to say, you know what, Martha, you're right. Mary, you need to get up and you need to help your sister. You are sorry and lazy and no good and you need to get up and help her now. But that's not what Jesus does, does he? What does Jesus do? Verse 41, the Lord answers her. Martha, Martha. I don't know, every time I read this, I think Marcia, Marcia. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. You'll see this in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, a doubling of a name, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter. Um, Dan, uh, you'll, you'll even see Samuel, Samuel. Every time in the Bible where you see the doubling of the name, it's a sign of great emotion. It's a sign of great affection. It's also the sign of intensity. Jesus is not mad at Martha he loves Martha, but he's going to gently rebuke Martha by getting straight to her heart. She wanted to fix the situation. Jesus wants to fix her. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus is not rebuking her servant heart. He's rebuking her anxious heart. Another translation puts it this way. You're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up for nothing. Can I get a witness? This word anxious can literally be, can mean to be torn apart into pieces in many directions. Have you ever felt that way? Were you just torn apart in many pieces in different directions? The word trouble can also be translated upset. The Greek word kind of gives this idea of being tossed around like a ship without an anchor. So basically Jesus is saying, you're all worked up and you're all over the place. Have you ever been in that moment where you're just all, I mean, you're foaming at the mouth, worked up and all over the place? And so Jesus here is diagnosing Martha of having an unhappy, unsettled, and unanchored heart. See, if you look at Martha, she was the kind of person who needed to be needed to feel significant. She was trying to control the situation that was out of her control and was not hers to control. And think about this. She had this thought in her mind that it was to be perfect. She was seeking perfection in a broken world. And so here's kind of as, as the way I wrote this. She was limited by her humanity, but expected her work to reflect the perfection of divinity. She was limited, but yet she put this unrealistic expectation on herself that everything was to be perfect. And here's what I found about anxiety in my own heart. Much of my anxiety, much of your anxiety is driven by two things. One, unrealistic expectations. I'm putting expectations on the situation that are not something that is realistic. They are not to be something that I can do in my own strength. And so I, am, I, I have unrealistic expectations that every year Kentucky is going to win a national championship. Unrealistic. As a matter of fact, for the next 21 days, I'm fasting Kentucky basketball. You know why? Because they ain't playing. <laughs> they ain't playing. Much of my anxiety, though, is driven by unrealistic expectations I put on others or myself, or much of my anxiety is driven by an overestimation of unimportant things. In other words, I put in things that are really not that important to the level of primary importance. 
I love what John Maxwell says. He says, it's hard to overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. I told that the first service, they didn't laugh like you did. You, you guys have had an hour or two more sleep. Much of what we worry about doesn't matter. Think about what you're worried about right now. I mean, whatever it is. And I'm not trying to completely downplay it, but what are you, don't have to say it out loud, but what are you worried about the most right now? Now think about, will it matter 10,000 years from now? What you're worried about right now, for most of you, unless it's spiritual things in eternity, will not matter 10,000 years from now. And yet what we do is we allow the unimportant things, those things that don't mount to a hill of beans, as we'd say in Kentucky, keep us from enjoying and experiencing important things now. Jesus says, listen, Martha, you are driven around like a ship without an anchor. You are torn in pieces. And you have overestimated the importance of this meal you're serving me. And you have unrealistic expectations that this is supposed to be a perfect situation. But there's one thing that's necessary. All those things you're doing are nice. But there's one thing that's necessary. You're too distracted. You're too overwhelmed and consumed by the task and how it makes you look that you've lost focus on the most important thing. See, what you see here is that Martha let good things keep her from the essential thing. And what is the essential thing? Jesus, God Almighty, came to her house. And she ignored time that she could have spent with him in exchange for trying to impress him. Imagine the, the ladies come to Martha and say, Martha, we heard that Jesus and the disciples came to your house. How was it? What did he say? What did he do? And Martha's like, well, you know, I didn't really hear what he said. I didn't really see him do anything because I was too back and I was too busy in the back cleaning the dishes and making sure everything was right. I didn't really get to talk to him. I was too busy serving him that I really didn't have any time to spend with him. You know the irony of this? Here's the irony. Please, please listen to this phrase because I think it'll be helpful. The irony is that Martha felt like the weight of the world was on her shoulders while the one who upholds the universe was sitting in her living room. She was so enthralled in her mind that these things were weighing on her. And how many of you, you're like that. The weight of the world is on your shoulders. Your marriage, your parenting. So many of you are worried about your kids, their athletic prowess. I mean, we were there talking yesterday. My boys were in, in flag football, and there was a coach who was late coaching our team because he just got done coaching another team in another sport with his kid. And some, so many people are, are expecting their kids to be the next major league baseball player or basketball player, or maybe their education, you're expecting them to get into these major universities, or maybe you're worried about their future, and the way of the world is on your shoulders, or maybe you're concerned about your career or retirement or your health or life. And instead of worshiping the one who is in control, you're trying to take control. See, sadly, many of us are pursuing the wrong kind of perfection in a broken world, and the result is we worry. See, in this episode, instead of worrying, Martha should have been worshiping. She should have been focused on what Jesus was wanting her to do and let him take care of the rest. I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, Martha, don't worry about the food. You remember when I fed 5,000? 
don't worry about the dishes. I can take care of them too. I mean, you know what? Maybe if Martha would have just worried about Jesus and focused on Jesus, there may be another miracle in the Bible. The miracle of the dishes being washed. (laughs) Who knows? But yet, instead of that, she was worried about the situation. And why was she worried? And why are you and I worried? Sometimes it's because of our overcommitment. We've put unrealistic expectations on ourselves and we overcommit and now we're worried because we're torn in two different places or multiple places or the busyness of life or the distractions of life and that's what's keeping us spinning around like a boat without an anchor. And what happens is this, is that when we become worried, we begin to doubt the goodness and love of Jesus. It says fatigue makes cowards of us all. That's what Vince Lombardi said. Worry will also make cowards of Christians because we'll begin to look at our circumstances and doubt that God even loves us. You say, where is this in the text? Martha looks at Jesus and says, do you not care? See, sometimes we can be so consumed by the things of this world that we disbelieve the gospel. The gospel says that God loves you. There's nothing that, God would, that you could do that would make God love you more. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you less than he loves you now. But yet, we begin to think that the whole thing is on us. And so, we tell these lies to ourselves, in which we say, you know, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll never make it in life. Or if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'm going to fall behind. Or if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be accepted. Or if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I may disappoint someone. Or if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll never measure up. And what Jesus is saying, listen, stop it and worship me. See, when we worry, we make ourselves the center of the universe and get upset when things go out of our orbit. But when we worship we see that Jesus is the center of our universe and we trust that he has everything under control. So you can worry instead of worship or you can worship instead of worry. Verse 42. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion." Mary does not speak in this text. She doesn't speak in this story. But what she chooses speaks volumes. She chose the right thing. She chose to be with Jesus rather than serving in the kitchen. Now, it doesn't mean that we learn from this text that we're to be lazy and passive and do nothing. But also, it doesn't mean that Mary was lazy and passive. What we see here is that Mary took full advantage of her opportunity to be with Jesus. She chose the good portion. What's the good portion? Well, is it food? Is it the good portion of cake? Is it the good portion of chicken? You get the right piece of chicken? Candy? What is it? Well, portion here is more related not to food, but to an inheritance. Now, here's the interesting thing. Martha allowed good things, serving, to keep her from the best thing, Jesus. And so what Martha did is she fixated on temporary things, and her control anxiety caused her to neglect the better portion, her inheritance. Now, inheritance is normally what you get when someone dies. But what is this inheritance that he's talking about here? What what is this better portion? What, What is this that she was neglecting? Well, let's look at that. We can see this thought in in the Old Testament. So in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, 
The psalmist says, who have I in heaven but you? And there's none on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but the Lord is the strength of my heart. My, say it with me, my portion forever. My portion, my inheritance. Who is the portion? God is my portion. Lamentation 3, 4, 24 and 25. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So think about this. An, an, an inheritance is what you get when someone dies. But this inheritance we get is, one, because Jesus died, but he also rose from the dead, but we don't get the fullness until we die to be with him forever. Jesus died on the cross so that when we die, we get him forever. So heaven, this inheritance, is not so much a, a place that has streets of gold and houses, uh, gates of pearl and mansions and all these wonderful things that you think heaven is. What makes heaven heaven is your portion. And your portion is not a thing or a place. It's a person. Your portion is Jesus. And so... Mary chose her portion now. She chose to be in the presence of Jesus, to listen to him, to be taught by him. Do you understand what your portion is? Your inheritance is something that you get fully when you die, but you get a taste of it now. And that is close communion with God. That is your portion worshiping Jesus, spending time with Jesus. Do you understand, my friends, that we have the opportunity every morning when we wake up to worship Jesus, to hear from him, to speak to him, to worship him, to love him, to know him? It's amazing. And so listen, worship cannot just be another good thing we do during the week. It must be a way of life. It must be a lifestyle. When we gather on Sundays to worship, and listen, worship is more than singing. Worship is listening to the Word of God. You're worshiping God right now unless you're asleep. And if you see your neighbor, just nudge him and tell him to stand and pray. <laughs> worship is praying. Worship is taking up an offering and giving and collecting for the work of the ministry. Worship is Taking the elements and celebrating baptism. Those are worship. And listen, Sunday morning should be your highlight. I mean, I don't know about you, but every, every part of my week is focused on Sunday. So well, you're the preacher and you've got to turn a term paper in every Sunday and you've got to read it out loud. And if you don't, you can't take a D and just get failed. You've you got to do it every week. So it should be a highlight because it's a deadline for you. But listen, worship is not a deadline. Sunday is not a deadline. It's a highlight. I live for Sundays, amen? I live it. I long to be in the house of God. I long to be with the people of God. But Sunday worship should not be the only day we worship. Worship on Sunday morning is the culmination of worship that is happening during your week. And so if you on Sunday morning are struggling to worship, if you can't get into it, it may be because you're not worshiping during the week. And listen, if your only time of worship was Sunday morning, I would be upset if they don't sing songs I like. I would be upset if it's not the way I want. I would be upset if the sermon doesn't leave me with a warm fuzzy because if that's all I get, I would be upset. But if I'm worshiping Jesus during the week, it doesn't matter if Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck are up there clucking. If it's clucking for Jesus, praise Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so what I want you to understand is that what we do on Sunday morning is a culmination of what's happening during the week. 
You know, I, I, on Saturdays, I, I tend to run longer. Uh, those are my longer runs, and I'm, I'm training for a half marathon, and then and when I get to a marathon, I'm going to be like that Greek guy I told you a few weeks ago, I'm just going to die and, and when I'm done. But we, you know, we have people that run really long distances. We have a, a guy in our church that's ran over 100 miles in one time, and we need to pray for him. Um, but we have a lot of people that love to run, and I'm glad they love to run. But listen, I show up, and, and, I, and I run with another friend, and, and we work out in the morning, and we run long distances. But it's not like I just did nothing all week and just showed up on Saturday and ran. What, happened, what happens on Saturday is a reflection of how I worked out and how I ate during the week. The same is true on Sunday. How you walk with God, how you spend time with God is going to really show itself on how you worship on Sunday. Now, I'm pretty expressive. You don't have to be expressive to worship, but it should be a a way out from your heart to say, thank you, Jesus. See, Martha chose to serve Jesus. She chose other things. Mary chose the best thing. And what she did is it was necessary, but it was a choice. Notice here, she made a choice. I need food and water. You need food and water to survive, but yet I have to choose every day to eat and drink, and I have to choose what I eat and drink. And so the question I have to ask myself, is my portion going to be Jesus or is it going to be junk? Every day I have to wake up. You know, I've stayed in a few hotels since COVID has happened, and... um, you know, post-COVID, in a COVID world, a lot of the breakfast buffets at these hotels were shut down. And so what you normally would get is what they call a to-go bag. And so basically, what they put in this, it's a brown bag, is that you get a water, you get a nasty muffin, you get, you get some sort of banana, something other nasty in there. And then you have a brown bag, so after you eat it, you just put it back in, I guess. But it's a to-go bag, Okay. And so that was horrible. I shouldn't have said that. We can't delete it. Go ahead and delete that for, the, for when we put that out. But anyway, and so the first day I'm there at this hotel, I just assume it's a to-go bag. So I just go and grab the to-go bag and I look at it and drink the water and throw the rest away. It's nasty, okay? I just go to Chick-fil-A, amen? And um, unless it's Sunday, they're closed on Sunday, just in case you didn't know that. Now I'm wanting to get all Kanye and I almost started singing, you know? But anyway, so... Where was I going with that? Y'all remember? So we have this to-go bag. So then I do the to-go bag in the morning because I was at a conference. I speak there in the morning early. And and so I I came back and I found out something that evening. I found out that they actually have a breakfast buffet that's open. And so the next day, I had to get up a little earlier. And I went and they had this buffet. Let me tell you something, folks. Biscuits, cat head biscuits, sawmill gravy, Sausage, eggs, bacon, the essentials, fruit. I love pineapple. Pineapple, cantaloupe. I don't really like cantaloupe, but I'll eat it if things are tough, times are tough. And there it all was. And guess what I did? I ate at the buffet. And so every morning until I left, I had a choice to go bag that's nasty or a buffet that's heavenly. And guess what I chose for the glory of God? The buffet. I'm here to testify. Amen. So every day when you wake up, you have a choice. You can get a to-go bag of Jesus or a to-go bag of the world, or you can feast every day on Jesus. And Mary here chose to feast on Jesus. 
Now, I want to say something about this text. There is an unhealthy contradiction that sometimes we have when we talk about Mary and Martha. Some people say that you either are a Martha or you are a Mary. So all my, all my hard uh, type A driven people, they say, well, I'm a, I'm a Martha. And then my introverted B types, well, I'm a Mary. And so you have to be one or the other. And so you have the extrovert saying, well, I don't know if I can be an introvert. And the introvert saying, well, I don't know if I can be an extrovert. And so what we have here is this kind of this two different contradictory things where you either serve Jesus or you sit at the feet of Jesus. Well, this text is not saying it's an either or. The truth is you can and should do both. You should serve Jesus and sit at the feet of Jesus. The difference is this. Instead of worrying in your work, you should be worshiping while you work. And what I've learned is that if you worship before you work, you will worship while you work. You get that in first. It's the one thing necessary. The best part of waking up is Jesus in your life. And then you live your day. So here's what's beautiful about this. Mary chose the good portion. She chose the buffet, not the to-go box. She chose to worship Jesus before she did anything else. And Jesus says, what she has chosen will not be taken away from her. Will not be taken away. Now, that has an immediate. Mary's not going to leave. She can stay here as long as she wants. She can listen. She can participate. This is not going to be taken away from her. You think about this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit at the, feet of Je- the literal feet of Jesus. Mary's not worried about the dishes. The dishes will take care of themselves. We have a dishwasher. Her name is Martha. Anyway. <laughs> but also the eternal. Mary is going to have me forever. And I'm never going to be taken away from her, and she's never going to be taken away from me. I am hers and she is mine. See, the good portion is Jesus. The good portion was not in the kitchen, Martha. The good portion is in the living room. Jesus is going to tell the disciples in chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, blessed are your eyes that have seen. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and didn't see it and didn't hear it. You have to understand that you and I have have something that billions of people on our earth do not have. We know who Jesus is. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he bears witness with your spirit that you are his child. You have the good portion because the Holy Spirit is the down payment on the inheritance and you are his forever and nothing will separate you from the love of God. All the other things that we are distracted by are eventually going to be taken away from us. Our careers, our families, our power, our health, our wealth, everything. And here's what I'm learning. If anything is your one thing other than Jesus, it will eventually be nothing. If anything other than Jesus is not your one thing, it's going to be nothing. But when Jesus is your one thing, then everything else is in the right place. So let's end. I'm sure you're happy. Why does chapter end, I I did that in the first verse, why does chapter 10 end with Mary and Martha? How does this story fit? Because this is a unique story in Luke's gospel. What is Luke trying to teach us? You have to understand, these books are not just written in a vacuum. They're inspired by God, but yet there's a, a purpose here that God wants to teach us. And here's what that purpose is. All of chapter 10 is about ministry. I mean, the disciples were taught to make disciples, 
And you see that in the sending of the 72, where Jesus sent them out to serve. And then you see this lawyer coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan and says, this is what it means to love your neighbor, be a neighbor. And so you have ministry and neighboring. And at the end of chapter 10, Jesus wants us to understand this, that we can do good things and still neglect the most important things. That we can serve Jesus, we can go out and share Jesus, but yet neglect worshiping Jesus. And if you neglect worshiping Jesus, everything else really isn't going to matter. So here's what we all have to hear this morning. Stop volunteering yourself to be the Savior of the world and worship the one who is. Stop trying to be the Savior of the world. Stop trying to control the kitchen and worship the one in the living room. Because he is God and you are not. He's in control and you are not. He has it all figured out and you don't. He must be your priority. So the question is, is it in your life every day, each day, sitting at Jesus' feet, is it important? Here's what I found. You only worship Jesus as much as you want to. You only do what you want to do. What Mary wanted to do most is she wanted to worship Jesus. So I want to end with this. Sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, you're all in the Bible, and you should be, but I want some practical. I want you to just tell me what to do. So I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give you seven suggestions on how you this week can spend time with Jesus. Over these next 21 days, I want to give you suggestions. And here's husbands, I want you to encourage your wives to do this. Wives, I want you to encourage your husbands to do this. Kids, I want you to encourage your parents to do this. And parents, I want you to encourage your children to do this. Number one, take time each day to be in God's Word undistracted. Make a plan. Get on the UVerse app. Find a plan. Take time each day. Not chapters. It could be a chapter. It could be some verses. Take time each day to be in God's Word undistracted. Two, spend at least seven minutes each day in prayer. I call this seven up. Every day for years I've been practicing seven up. And that is I want to spend seven minutes up talking to the Lord. One of the best ways and maybe one of the healthy ways that I do it and you can do it is prayer walking because you can get out and maybe get away from some things and talk to the Lord. Three, listen to worship music and sing to God during the week, okay? We post every song that we're going to sing on Sunday on our website. You say, Pastor, that's not my thing. Here's a beautiful thing. You get to be your own worship pastor in that moment. You can pick the songs you like. If you like Southern gospel, crank it up. All right? If you, like, uh, if you like contemporary music, crank it up. If you like Gregorian chants, God bless you. <laughs> Whatever it takes, listen, worship, and sing. Sing loud. You say, Pastor, I can't sing good. Then sing loud. <laughs> sing loud. Four, take 15 minutes a week. This is something I've been practicing for a few weeks. Take 15 minutes once a week to spend time in solitude and silence. Husbands, this may mean you need to allow your wife that time. Wives, this may mean you may allow your husbands that time. Take some time. That doesn't mean you just sit out there and empty your mind. It's an opportunity for maybe you and the Word and just focusing on the things of God undistracted. Five, make Sunday morning worship a priority every week. Don't forsake the assembling. Don't forsake it. Be here. Show up. Six, 
have a conversation with other believers about the word each week, one of the best ways you can do that is through a group, through group ministry. And then seven, look for things that are distracting you from the things that are above that list and find a way to to limit or eliminate them. Here's what I found, that if you commit to nothing, you'll be distracted by everything. So if you want, if you, I'm asking you to commit the next 21 days to those seven suggestions, and this will be up on our social media just for you this week to remind you of these seven suggestions. If you'll do those, you'll see a change. You'll maybe get focused. You know, I've flown on, a, on an airplane even since this COVID-19, and, and they've changed a lot of things. But one thing they haven't changed, and I just want you to know this, is what the flight attendants do before takeoff. The flight attendants get up and they say the same thing every time, even in this COVID world. And here's what they say. In the unlikely event of a loss, uh, in the unlikely event of a loss of cabin pressure, yellow oxygen mask will deploy from the ceiling compartment located above you. Please secure your own mask before assisting others around you. So what that means is that if there's a problem on the plane and the cabin loses pressure, you're not going to be able to breathe oxygen. So you need this mask down on your face so that you can stay alive. But here's the deal. If you aren't breathing, you can't help anybody else breathe. So you have to put your mask on first and then help others around you get their oxygen mask. What I'm telling you today is this. If you want to be breathing If you want to be alive for Jesus, it starts with worship. You've got to worship before you can serve. You've got to pray before you can serve. You've got to spend time with Jesus before you can serve in this world. So you put your oxygen mask on first, and then you assist others to do the same. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus in faith and lifestyle and helps others do the same. The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you don't, today is a great day for that. If you do, today is a great day to worship Jesus. So here in a moment, we're going to worship. We're going to sing. And I want you, we're going to sing a song that many of you know. And I want you to sing it as strong as you can. Because it's all a song about Jesus. There's just something about his name. Amen? Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, do what only you can do. Father, move powerfully. Work in this room, oh God. Do a a work in my heart, Lord. Help me to worship you instead of worrying about the things of this world. Help me to turn my eyes on Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, would God today be that day of salvation? God, would you move in their hearts? Make them restless until they find their rest in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.com.